0: Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the Webby-nominated podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books has been sponsored by Himalaya, the best app for discovering, listening, and organizing podcasts. Himalaya was nice enough to reach out and make me an editor's choice, so now they're a sponsor. Check them out at Himalaya.com or in the App Store. I'm so excited to be interviewing Lauren Gershell today. We're here together in the Hamptons. It's such a lovely day, so this is super fun for me. Lauren is the co-author, along with Sophie Littlefield, of That's What Frenemies Are For, a novel. A graduate of Columbia University, from which she has a BA and a law degree, Lauren currently lives in New York City, where she was born and raised, and this is her first book. So welcome to Lauren. Thank you. Congratulations on your first novel. Thank you. So can you tell listeners what That's What Frenemies Are For is about? And how you and your co-author, Sophie, decided to do this book.
1: Sure. So the book is about a woman who lives in New York City who has it all, and she has everything she thinks she's ever wanted. And she puts a lot of importance on her own social capital. And she starts to feel as though her star is fading. And she takes on a young spin instructor and in a very, like, Pygmalion fashion decides that she's going to make her into a superstar, not necessarily out of the kindness of her own heart, but to regain some of the social capital that she thinks she's lost. And the book has kind of an interesting story in how it came to be about, which is that I had an idea, and I had never written a book before, and I reached out to a childhood friend who's a literary agent, and I said, I have this idea, what do you think of it? And she said, I really like that idea. And I said, I'd love to do it with somebody else. I feel like I need someone to work with me and write it with me so that it can be as good as it can possibly be, because I've never written before. And she reached out to some other agents that she knew, and that's how Sophie and I started writing together. So it was basically a blind date, and it was also love at first sight. It was over the phone, and within two minutes of talking to Sophie, I knew she was the one. She completely got me, she got what I wanted to do with the book, and we wrote, the book together and it was a really wonderful experience wow that's amazing yeah, I didn't it realize yeah. <laughs> that's awesome I know people think we were friends we actually didn't meet until we'd been writing for almost a year no way because she lives in California Wow. I actually when I before I had kids, I ghost wrote a book with these two authors who I never met until after the book. There you go. Came out. It yeah. can it can work. People I think have this vision that we sat at a desk together writing, but that is definitely not how it happens. So how did you do it? Well, I'm a Luddite, and so we wrote the book in Microsoft Word with track changes because that's what I had done as a lawyer when I wrote briefs, and that's what I had been used to doing. And Google Docs was really intimidating to me. So it was literally drafts back and forth with red lines and and edits and then in the last few weeks we used Google Docs here and there and we were both very stressed about
0: it. So, when you were using Microsoft Word, would you write a chapter and then she would write a
1: chapter? Or, like, how do you actually write with somebody else? Chunks is what I would say. Like, we would write chunks and then send it to each other. There were certain things that were more my area. There are certain things that were more her area. It was just a lot of back and forth. And the time difference actually worked really well because I would work first thing in the morning when my kids went to school. And I would then send her something as she was waking up in California. And it, it worked very, very well, the time difference, which at first made me nervous. It was a little bit hard for phone calls, but it was great for writing. Wow. But, and did you have the whole thing mapped out ahead of time? Like, did you have the chapter? I thought we did. Uh-huh. We, we actually, we sold the book on a partial, which means that we wrote 100 pages and sold it. And when we sold those 100 pages, we had a detailed outline, which we then completely deviated from as we wrote the entire first draft. And, and then the first draft, is very, very different from the final book because there was a major murder in it and then that murder became an accidental death. and then we took out the death completely. So there was there was a lot of deviating from the from the initial outline. Wow, yes. <laughs>
0: it's so neat to be able to write in the same way as someone else. Like, I, From reading, you wouldn't know
1: two she different She had people. a major influence on me, and I think that that was also something Sophie has written numerous books. I mean, she's lost count at this point, and she's ghostwritten, she's written under her name, she's written under another name, and That was an incredible experience because she's a master at what she does. So I know that if I had written it alone or written it with anybody else, it wouldn't have been as good as it was because of her. So she was very influential in my own writing. So when you went to your childhood friend and said, I have an idea, what was that? The original idea was a story about women's friendships surrounding a fitness studio. And initially I had thought about the fitness part being more prominently featured in the book. Maybe telling it from multiple perspectives. Somebody who works at the studio sees everything going down. And that was the original idea. And then once we sat down to write, obviously that is not what the book became. But that was the original thought.
0: I had one time I was in spin class and I was like, it would be so neat if each Chat like it almost like a movie, right? Like, what's going on with her? What's that's exactly that her? was the
1: original yeah. concept. Like having somebody who worked there had you know had have, have a perspective, and somebody who goes there, and then someone who's an outsider. But ultimately, that's not yeah. what we wrote. No, I mean, it's great. what you Yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. But maybe, but that was the original plan. I think.
0: And are you a big spinner? Because a lot of this is around spinning. I
1: am. I love to spin. It's the only form of exercise that I have ever found that I actually enjoy. I actually have an article coming out soon about having taken over 2,000 classes at SoulCycle over oh, the last 10 years. Oh, my gosh. I know. I don't know if it's something to be proud of or embarrassed by, but it's the truth. I do. I love, love, love spinning. Are you like a person who follows certain
0: instructors, or do you go? I, I Yeah, I do. So you're a devotee? I'm a
1: devotee, yes. Awesome, that's yes. so cool.
0: Wow. I don't know, I think it's great to be able to stick to anything.
1: It's you know, you know, I have to say, like, I mean, when I became obsessed with it, you know, 10 years ago, I think most people expected that, you know, within a few months or a few years I'd be over it, but, like, I'm not. <laughs> so, that's great. I don't do it quite as much as I used to, but... I,
0: so, do you get something from SoulCycle or two thousand classes? Like, are there little awards? Are they going to bring out one of the cakes that they do? Like,
1: <laughs> they're very—they're you know—they're really good about recognizing their riders. So, birthdays, big milestone rides, they do try to make you feel special. But no, you don't get like you know a free class or anything. I wish. In the book, you
0: discuss personal branding as Julia, who's the main character, takes on this newbie spinning instructor named Tatum as her pet project, and she says, "Building a personal brand, you have to be." strategic and disciplined. The first step is to identify your customer and after that everything you do, every decision you make should be focused on her. Which I think you do a great job of then crafting the brand of this woman who, maybe she picked the wrong woman, but it remains to be seen, you know. When you think about this book and the branding of this book, like who are you thinking is the ideal consumer of this book?
1: I obviously think the book is targeted at women. I hope men will read it too, but I'm realistic that I think it's really a book mostly for women. I mean, I think the answer to that question is twofold. It's for women or people who want a fun beach read that they can read quickly without, you know, getting depressed, without getting lost in the book, in the sense of having to go back and you know it's not a difficult book to read and it's a fun book but I also think I mean we, we tried to place within the book some themes that were a little bit more serious and a little bit more important and so it's ideal for book clubs it's ideal for groups of friends who want to read a book together and then talk about it afterwards but it's also a fun juicy beach read. I agree. It was awesome. Thank you.
0: I was actually struck reading the book by how much air time, and I don't know what the equivalent book time I guess <laughs> you gave to Benilda, the nanny character. I feel like she was really one of the central characters in the book. Good, that's just y- supposed to be. And you were sort of always wondering, like, what's up with Benilda? I don't know. Like, yeah. you just never really know. So I, and she almost becomes another friend of me in her own right, in a way. So I just wanted to know about that decision to include her as such a central character?
1: Well, I think Benilda is like almost the moral compass of the book in the sense of she is watching Julia, the main character, make some very questionable decisions and get herself into a lot of bad situations. And Benilda is watching and judging, (laughs) but also cares, and it's almost the, what I would expect a reader to be going through themselves. They, they know this woman is a good person. They want to throttle her at times. They think she is awful at times, but hopefully they also like her. And people are flawed, and she's flawed. And so Benilda, to me, is a voice of reason. If she becomes a frenemy, it's only because of Julia, Right. Yeah. I mean, she's not yes. coming at Julia as a frenemy. And so it says a lot about Julia, how she treats her, and how their situation is resolved. So no, I think of Benilda as a moral compass. So, Julia, let's talk about her likability for a minute. Mm, my okay, favorite so, topic.
0: <laughs> so, she is like a blatant social climber, yes. for lack of a better word. So, in the beginning, like she, for example, you set it up with her friend, family friend, Janet Erickson, who wrote the letter helping her get Paige, her daughter, into the school. And yet, once she gets into the school, she's like, no, 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 social liability, not going to go there. So she's very much aware of her status and is like, very strategic and all that. You wrote, I felt bad for the way I, this is about. This is now Julia talking about Janet. She said, I felt bad for the way I treated her, but now wasn't the time for me to be taking chances. I sometimes thought of my life like a stock ticker, the graph line trending up or down with my social status. Throw a winter solstice party that ended up all over Instagram, the line ticked up. Lose the PTA election and slipped back down. Conspicuous absence from the Hampton scene all summer, it remained to be seen
1: how far my stock would fall. So are we supposed to like Julia? I don't know. So that's been amongst early readers. That has been a hot topic of, is Julia likable? Is she not? Does it matter? And when Sophie and I were writing this book, something important to us was to not have a protagonist who was angelic. Mm -hmm. I think that I prefer books where the characters are complicated and real people are complicated and real people make mistakes and real people sometimes sometimes lose focus, and they lose focus on what's important in their lives and what's important to them, and they can get caught up in other things. And so I like Julia. There are people who've loved the book who hate Julia, and I think that that's one of the many things that people can talk about when reading the book. But we're not supposed to hate Julia, but we are certainly supposed to feel frustrated by her, dislike her at times, but possibly even identify with her on some level. You know, she's very, very privileged, and she doesn't necessarily appreciate that privilege in the way that she should. But anybody reading the book understands what it's like to sometimes take things for granted. And I like her. I like her most of the time. All right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's good. Since you spent, all I,
0: know, time right. about her. I mean, I would hope so.
1: <laughs> I like all the characters in the book, though. I like Tatum. I like Julia. I like them all. I don't. I mean, maybe not the like the some of the real frenemies, but the main characters. I think all there are moments where you like them, you agree with them, you disagree with them, you hate them. Well, one thing you did
0: so well is they're so real. I mean, I feel like <laughs> I could go to a cocktail party tonight and be like, oh, that's them. Yes, no, totally. So, And I know you didn't base them on any particular people. No. But,
1: so, so, I
0: won't actually see them tonight. No,
1: they are figments of our imaginations.
0: You did a really good job of making them into actual (laughs) (laughs) pseudo-people. So Julia and her husband James get in a fight because James has all these legal issues which crop up throughout the book, not to give anything away. But when she starts complaining about how his... Legal issues are affecting her social standing. This sort of is reminding me of. Big, are you watching Big Little Lies? This I watched time? the first season. I haven't watched the second. Yet. Okay, you have to start
1: watching because of I was this. waiting until they were all out so I could binge them. Okay,
0: well, after I think they're now all out I think, as yeah, of last, last week. Yeah. Okay, anyway, um, <laughs> anyway, she says she starts complaining to James about how this is so, you know, unpleasant for her and he says that she should ignore the nasty responses that she's been getting about it and she thinks to herself, well easy for him to say. James had a black belt in ignoring what other people thought, but he wouldn't last a week in my shoes. These are my friends, James, the people I see every day. And then he tells her, you know, if you did if you did have a job or even a goddamn hobby, maybe you wouldn't go around acting like any of this shit matters. So then I was wondering, like, do you think that's it? Do you think that women who don't have jobs and hobbies use their social world as their main measure of self-worth? Or is it just people who are sort of vulnerable to this particular social game, regardless of whether they're at home or not?
1: All of that. I mean, I think that there's a few things. I think one question in the book is why do women or some women feel like their social capital is so important? And is that something that's their fault? Is it what society has placed upon them. I think that it is hard for women, whether they work outside the home or don't, to find what makes them feel fulfilled separate from their jobs, whether their job is their family or their job is their family and a job outside the home. And actually, I know you're familiar with it. One of my closest friends has a book coming out in October called Fair Play. Her name is Eve Rodsky, and she writes a lot about unicorn space. And the importance of women— What, is, their, what does that mean, well, exactly? Well, what it really means is women need to have something, and it could be anything. It could be knitting. It could be reading. It could be working out. It could be gardening. It doesn't matter what it is. Women need things that fulfill them outside of their familial responsibilities, and they need to be given the time to do them, and, the, and they have to be told it's okay to take that time. And I think that that comment from James, it circles back to James's comment, which is that Julia's trying to have a hobby. Mm-hmm. She's a little misguided about what it is. But the idea that our women's hobby is even valued. And so, you know, I like James a lot. We wanted James to be, you know, a wonderful guy. But he doesn't quite get her, and he doesn't quite understand her, and he doesn't quite understand her life. And I think that that's something that many women can relate to. And... So that's one of my favorite kind of conversations that's
0: come from the book. You include Instagram a lot in yeah. the story, which I thought was very appropriate <laughs> given the given the mental energy it, it, it Twenty
1: nineteen, t- yeah, yeah.
0: The space it takes up in my own mind. So I appreciated <laughs> it since I'm like spend way too much time on Instagram. At Tibby Owens at <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. So you include the role that Instagram plays in today's mom relationships a lot. And you're commenting a lot on Julia's always noticing how many followers so and so has, pictures of who's out and about with who she has an issue with her friend Grace, and is like, well, she was just posting about me at the Central Park Conservancy luncheon. Hashtag best friends forever. <laughs> <laughs> I totally related to this too. There's one time I saw these moms at my daughter's school, like out and about, and I was like, you know, arms around each other at some dinner. Mm-hmm. And I was like you know, yeah, totally. And I was like, I wouldn't have been able to go. It doesn't matter. Like, I felt
1: so left out. And I was like, this is terrible. I'm like in my 40s. and. Yeah. No. It, it just doesn't ever end? It does not ever end. And I think that it's a huge, I mean, I love Instagram and Facebook. I think that, you know, it's allowed me to stay in touch with people that I would have lost touch with. I know what they do. I know where they live. I know the names of their kids. I like that. But it can be dangerous. And we're often so focused on the dangers for our children, because I have a 13-year-old daughter, so I'm very aware of those dangers. But it can also be dangerous for us, because it's a alternate reality, and people can get very caught up in thinking it's reality. And the other thing, apropos of what you just said, is that particularly, I think, for adults, you get to see all the things you're not invited to. You get to see all the things you've been left out of. And, you know, every dinner party, every wedding, every cocktail gathering, and it can be very, very damaging and hurtful. And it can start to really mess with your mind, which is what I wanted to capture with Julia. I do think that it can also be really positive. Like, one of my favorite things about having written this book is that I love to read. And I've connected on Instagram with all these other people who love to read and love to talk about books. And you know, I have a few friends in real life who are like that, but not a million. And I, I've loved that part of Instagram, which was a whole new part of Instagram for me in the last year or so. But you know, I think that the conversations about social media are often focused on the kids, and maybe need to be focused more on the women in their forties. Totally. I need like, a, I need like an Instagram
0: intervention. I know. I think we, I think many of us do. My screen time—they were like, it's gone up to like twenty percent. I'm like, again, it went up again last week. Like, oh, my God, how is this even possible? I'm always complaining about what I have time for and what I don't, but I don't know. <laughs> but I like it. I mean, like no, I really love nice. it, too. I love it. And I feel like, actually, I am, like, strengthening relationships on Instagram. Totally. And I love like I love being able to be like, oh, like, you know, somebody got on the bestseller list, and I can be like, yay, amazing. Totally. Like, I love that. and
1: I know. love it, too, but it, it can really mess know, with your I head. I don't know. So
0: There's also no way to do
1: it any faster, which no. drives me bananas. Right. No, Like, you can't sure. be even more efficient because then you miss stuff. You miss stuff. And you miss, like, your best friend's, you know, post about her child being born. You know, like, that's the problem. Yeah, but, Exactly. Um, yeah. But the thing that I didn't know, which I feel like
0: some people, maybe not the people listening right now, but, like, Instagram is sort of a requirement for authors now. Like, you have to be on, and you have to really be available. Well,
1: yes. I mean, I think that some authors—authors authors tend to choose their social media platform. And for many of them, it seems to be Twitter. Oh, yeah, Twitter is— And I tried to—I was already on Instagram. I already loved Instagram as a stay-at-home mom. And with the book, I tried to get on Twitter. I mean, I am on Twitter, but I I literally don't know what to tweet, Instagram is, for whatever reason, more my thing. And, I, again, I love talking about books and seeing what people are reading and seeing the pretty covers. and it. I love that.
0: Cover reveal. Right. Oh, I love all, like all that. that.
1: <laughs> and, and I think it's really fun. I mean, I think not—maybe some authors feel like it's a requirement of the job that maybe isn't their favorite. I actually really like it. I love— seeing what people have to say about the book. Usually, I hope they only tag me when they've liked it. I love it. I love seeing what, they, what they've what they taken from the book. I love seeing their photos of the book and where they pose it. Like, I don't know. I just, I'm really enjoying being part of that community on Instagram. Yeah, I think it's really fun. Yeah,
0: I love it. I love it. I <laughs> but think it's, it's really definitely cool. uh, I've
1: gotten so many, like, great book recommendations, too. Yeah, and, me
0: too. And yeah. I, I feel like if you see certain people all posting
1: about one book. Exactly. Then like, you want to read it. Then I want to, yeah. Which is well, maybe that's just pathetic of me. I don't know. I, I don't know because <laughs> it helps me like know what what is out there and what's
0: supposed to be really good. And I just interviewed Courtney Mom, who wrote Touch and has a new book Coastal Elegy out. And I did it with Nicola Harrison at Barry and Co. Bookstore, and she was had this whole thing about being a good literary citizen and mm-hmm. how it's important for authors and everyone, but in particular authors, to be good literary citizens. And one of the things is to promote books that come out. And yes.
1: every Instagram, every picture of a galley or or whatever helps. I agree with that. There have been some books that I have loved that I read this summer and I often, you know, even before I wrote a book, people were often asking me for book recommendations. So, I do try like maybe once a week to post a book that I have read and loved. Just for my friends to see, but also for the people who follow me, who are readers, to see what I've been reading and really loving. I mean, I read a lot, so I can't post every book I read, but the really, really special ones, I definitely try to promote. And I do it. On, that's what I use Twitter for, actually, because I'm like, what, what? I'm not. I don't know. That's the only thing I can think of to post about on Twitter aside so from my own book is other books. I did this podcast on this
0: library podcast, and I was saying how much I love recommending books too, like just like I you. Love it. I mean, love it. I feel like every big friend group has one person in the group who they come to for book recommendations. Right. So I feel like we are those people. I'm are-
1: definitely that person. And right. I have a friend who, for example, mostly only reads thrillers. And mm-hmm. I recommended a book to her last summer outside of her normal genre. And she's still talking about it. And she's still incredulous that she loved the book as much as she did. And she, I, it's yeah. just, it's so cool. I think that's like the great. I know, I'm like, and that's my to, greatest accomplishment of last too, year. that's how I
0: feel. I feel like when I recommend something and people love it and then they're like, thank you, that was amazing. I take, like, so much joy and me pride too. in Me too, I know. It's, and it's crazy. I mean, it's really silly, like, of all the things in life. But for me, and I guess for you, I'm glad you can relate, it's like... I'm like it's so like, excited when I someone like says I read it and loved it some people are good at matchmaking mm, you know like I have yes. a few friends who are like I've set up five marriages and no, da, da, da. I'm I not that not. way I like to think I'm good at I'm no.
1: actually not I've never even good. tried
0: <laughs> I tried. I tried for a while and then I gave up because I realized I, I guess I just don't know what people want in a
1: relationship <laughs> but you're like all. I know what they want in a book but a book is it's easier to.
0: I don't know Anyway. No, so they
1: give you a second, like if you recommend a book that they love and then the second one they don't love as much, they'll usually give you a third chance. Yeah, they'll say, well, I love the first one, didn't love the second one. I was one. sort of
0: like brainstorming a description of what I do. And I, one of the terms that I had come on
1: was book yenta.
0: Yes. It, I feel like that's sort of the, you know, it's, it's perfect. like, right, that, like you're, you're like a book yenta. I like, love it. You know,
1: yeah. Anyway, whatever. And, I, and again, I love to read. So I love to share like my passion for reading with others, whether it's somebody who reads a book a year or somebody who reads a book a week. Yeah, I, I agree. It's awesome.
0: A quick line you said in the book, sometimes it's easy, and you're talking about life in general basically, sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's not that's why there's wine. Truth. <laughs> <Cheers.
1: Cheers. laughs>
0: <Okay. laughs> Discuss, please. And also, are there other ways, perhaps wine included, that you have turned to to get through the pitfalls or the
1: difficult times? Totally. It's funny because my literary agent at one point in an early draft said, there's so much drinking in this book. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, you know, I think that whether it's good or bad, there's a, there, the wine culture is very... Prevalent. There are plenty of other ways, though. I think to deal with you know moments of stress or hardship. I mean, I like to spin. I like to see my friends and just be around people who make me feel better. I mean, the thing about friendships, which is you know something that we also wanted to write about in the book, is that you know women can break your heart. Women can also heal your heart. And people are often so fixated on marriage and families, and the importance of friends is sometimes forgotten in the dialogue in this country. And I've certainly found that my friends, I have the most wonderful friends, and they have gotten me through so much. So yes, wine. Yes, spinning. (laughs) Yes, friends. And obviously, you know, family and all that stuff. And reading. And reading. Reading is a huge thing for me. I mean, I I really try to take time every day to read. It's not always easy. Like, I failed miserably yesterday. But it's really important to me to get that time to, like, quiet my mind, quiet the thoughts in my head about myself and my own life and immerse myself in another story. Do you have any favorite books or books you're reading now or I books to recommend? I have tons. I mean, do you have three hours? Um, I, I will say, so I've, this summer. Let's I pick a few. Let's okay. just, let's say Not three. Not a thousand? Okay. So this summer, let's do current books then. Okay. So okay. this summer, some of my favorite books have been Fleischman is in Trouble. I'm halfway through that. I so good. Am, I am, like, the biggest fangirl of hers now. I, I tweeted at her, in fact, to I, be mean, like, you, I,
0: I direct messaged Taffy Ackner, and, and now she's going to come on the show. So. I'm so
1: jealous. Yeah. I wish I could watch that. She's That book, to me, was genius. I mean, towards the end, I was reading it on my Kindle. I was highlighting full pages— I was obsessed with that book. I still am obsessed with that book. That's a book that I really tried like on my own Instagram account to talk about several times. There's a book that just came out last week called The Marriage Clock, which I loved. It is really funny and light and just a great summer read. And I just finished City of Girls. I finished it two days ago, and I could not put it down. So there have been some really amazing books out this summer, but I would say those have been three of my absolute favorites. Oh, it also misses everything by Jennifer Weiner. Oh, yeah. I, I think it's her best one ever. But there have been other books I've loved this summer.
0: I had her on the show earlier did, this summer. You did? Yeah. I haven't heard
1: that. I have listened listen should, to it. Yeah. I loved that book. So those are some of my favorite ones from the summer. So what's coming next for you? I don't know. (laughs) So yeah, I was a lawyer. Then I was a stay-at-home mom for like 11 years. And if you had told me two and a half years ago or three years ago that I was going to write a book and publish it, I would have thought you were crazy. So I feel like you never know what's coming in life and you never know what opportunities you're going to find yourself facing. So I'm just going to enjoy this book and be busy with this book and be busy with my kids and then see what comes next. I do have little things in the back of my mind, but I'm trying to keep frenemies and my children in the front of my mind and not think about those other little ideas until I have a little more time. That's smart. Very yeah, wise. But I don't I don't know the answer to that question. I wish I knew. And do you have any advice for aspiring authors out there? I mean, I think the advice is a complete cliche, but cliches exist for a reason, right? Just to believe in yourself. If you have an idea, sit down and start writing. If you have a manuscript that you believe in, keep pushing it. And one thing I've realized in meeting so many authors is that most authors have manuscripts in their drawers that they didn't sell or didn't even try to sell Many authors work for many, many, many years until they sell their book. And if you believe in yourself, that's your best shot of publishing a book. Because if you start to give up, everybody else will too.
0: Love it. Yeah, that's what I think. Yeah, no, that was great (laughs) advice. It may be a cliche, but I don't think anybody has said that specifically. So okay, good. There There you you go. go. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. You're so welcome. Um, Lauren Gershell, Sophie Littlefield, that's what frenemies are for. Available now. Yes, yes. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, Ivy. Thanks again to today's sponsor of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, Himalaya, the best app for discovering, listening, and organizing podcasts, Himalaya.com. Thanks for listening to moms don't have time to read books. You can follow me on Instagram at moms don't have time to read books. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at texture sound for the sound editing. And thank you to morning moon productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com.